right, good morning, everybody. Come on, aren't you glad to be at church today? Man, I'm glad you're here. Week two of the smell of smoke. Smell of smoke. I can't wait to share a word with you. Title of today's message is Where There's Smoke, There's Fire. Where There's Smoke, There's Fire. If you got your notes, pull those out. If you got a Bible, you can turn to Jude chapter one. That's all there is. It's one chapter. It's the book right before. It's the second to last book in the Bible, right before the book of Revelation. I love this passage of scripture. We're just a couple of weeks from Easter. And um, I don't know, maybe you know this already, but Easter season is really one of just a handful of seasons in which people are more open to the gospel than any other time. Like, people are more open to the gospel in this season than really any other time of the year. We're more aware of the gospel. We're more aware of Jesus. Even culturally speaking, culture is more aware of God in this season. And so our hope as your pastors is to prepare you for this season, that we wouldn't just miss it, we wouldn't miss the opportunity that God has placed in all of our lives to influence the people that God has placed in our lives for the gospel, for the gospel. I said this last week to our Columbiana campus uh, in, in, in our first installment of this series, our lives are either potentially, for people in our lives who don't know the Lord, people in our lives who are far from God, our lives are either one of the greatest examples of the gospel to people or the biggest hoax to the gospel to people. Gandhi said it this way, famously, a fam- one of his most famous quotes, he said, I love your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. They don't look like him. Isn't that crazy? Like, like we live in a culture in which it's it now, it's, it's increasingly less popular, but it's still, we live in a culture, especially in the Bible Belt, where it's, where it's kind of popular just to call yourself a believer, but yet... Most people, if we're honest, there's a lot, a lot of people out there who don't like fit the mold of a follower of Jesus. And that's why Jesus said it this way in the Gospels. Hey, you're not going to know them by what they say or the clothes that they wear, or the bumper stickers that they have, the songs that they listen to. You're going to know them by the fruit that they bear. And it says this, a good fruit can't bear bad, a good tree can't bear bad fruit and a bad tree just can't bear good fruit. Now, that doesn't mean that at times fruit doesn't rot on the vine and stink a little bit. That doesn't mean that at times we don't mess up. We're not perfect, right? But there is a reality in our lives as a follower of Jesus. I either produce the fruit that comes from a relationship with Jesus in my life or I don't. There's no middle ground there. And so all month long we're talking about the smell of smoke, meaning that there should be people in our lives that are far from God. That should be a reality. There should be, like, if that wasn't, if we didn't have this responsibility to partner with God in the gospel, why wouldn't it be that when we confess our sin, when we are saved, when we give our heart to the Lord, we follow him as Savior, if God didn't somehow want to use us in partnership, don't you think he would just take us on at that moment? Like eternity would be our home and we would just go straight. No, but we have a responsibility. We're in partnership with the Lord to bring the gospel to the people in our lives who are far from God. So no, no, no. God, God's, not remind, God's not telling us to avoid them. As a matter of fact, he's saying run towards them. Like surround yourself with them. And he says it this way in chapter, in chapter 1, verse 23. It's our theme verse. In doing so, rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy still to others, but do so with what? Caution. Hating even the sin that contaminates their lives. 
One translation says this way, hating even the clothes that are contaminated by sin. Like it's a reminder that there should be people in our lives who are far from God, who are being influenced by our very obvious relationship with God. And so last week we talked about it. There was warnings. And so that's toward the end, and we're going to get to even more what that looks like. How do we begin to live a life that does that? And I love that as he's talking about that, that we should be in partnership, rescuing people from an eternity apart from God, that there's a responsibility that we all have as followers of Jesus. But I love, before he ever even gets to that point, he warns us. He gives us good warning. So last week was a warning against falling away. The first seven verses in that chapter, right? We recognize there should be some urgency in our lives. We're not promised tomorrow, y'all. Like, eternity's coming. One thing that we, know, we do know as followers of Jesus, one thing we know, that heaven is real. That makes hell real. And we're not promised our next breath. And the reality is when our next breath goes away on this earth, the Bible says in Hebrews, it's appointed for man once to die, And then face the judgment. We know that eternity is coming. And we recognize that because eternity is coming and we're not promised our next breath, there should be some urgency in our life, right? The house is on fire. We got to get people out. We don't have time to sit around and just enjoy. We don't have time to sit around and act as if eternity is not promised, like not coming sometime soon. There should be some urgency. We talked about last week to defend the faith in a culture that loves to rewrite the rules of truth and conviction. Like we, we live in a culture that like contrary to what many people believe in the world today. Hey, y'all, we have an absolute truth. We stand on an absolute truth. We believe it to be the word of God. So what does it look like for us to lead our families in a way that stands on a truth that even, listen, we talked about it last week, like truth is truth even if nobody believes it. Truth is truth. If you're the one standing on a truth, that truth is truth. And so today I want to talk to you about uh, what does it look like there's some results of fire. We said it this way, our, our title today is where there's smoke, there's fire. Right? Like you smell smoke, you know, like there's some kind of fire around there's a result like there's the results of moving from moving away from God there is a chain reaction to fire fire there is there is there's no doubt where fire has been would you agree with that like there's no doubt uh, even now so like we're in 2023 like the the, the te- technology has gone so far that investigators can literally pinpoint where fire was to the point they know exactly where it began And they can tell you exactly what started the fire. And not long. I mean, just a little bit on the the scene. They can begin investigating. And they'll go, yep, started right here. It started with an electrical fire. Or it started with some kind of chemical. Like, they know what started the fire. Like, there's no doubt that fire is where there is. Like, you can't hide evidence of that. Does that make sense? When I was, uh, I I told our our Columbia campus last week, when I was 13, uh, 14 years old, I had a lot of friends. We were big into paintball. Got any paintball fans in here? Paintball, paintball? Yeah, well, we were big into it, loved it. And so one night, one Friday evening, we had spent, we, we camped out on a neighboring property of my friends. They were gracious enough to let us use their property and uh, camped out all night long and played paintball all night long. It was so much fun. We had a fire, y'all. When I say we had a fire, we learned what little miniature, uh, little baby uh, pine trees can do. 
I mean, you throw one of them things in a little fire, and it's instantly a big fire, you know. And we did that all night long, and we played paintball, and we had little smoke grenades we were throwing. I mean, we just had the time of our lives. Got up the next morning, cleaned everything up, thought we had put the fire out, left, went fishing, and about an hour and a half, we look up, and there is a smoke coming roughly around the direction where we were uh, playing a couple of acres over through the woods and y'all we took off running and when we got there y'all there was a whole entire acre of a field that was an inferno (laughs) we just lit somebody's property on fire and I would like to say that we were more concerned about the fire burning the forest than we were our parents killing us but be honest with you, we just didn't want to die because we knew somebody was going to kill us from that. So we, we went to work. Man, we took our shirts off, our clothes. We were all down to our underwear. Like everything we could find, just beating the fire out, whatever we could get. It took us about an hour and a half, two hours to all 20 of us or so, beating that fire out. By the time we got completely done, the fire department finally showed up conveniently, you know. We didn't have eyebrows. Our eyelashes were gone. There was no hair on our arms. Our, our head had been, all of us looked like we had afros, you know, because, like, it was all curly and singed. Like, there was no way that we could hide the fact that we just caught the entire woods on fire. Like, it would have been good for us to go, oh, thank God we got that beat out. Maybe nobody will notice. <laughs> like, you can't hide the fact that fire was there. Does it make sense? Like, you can't hide where fire has been. It always leaves evidence. Always. There's always a chain reaction. And so today I want to talk to you about three things that I think that we see as a result. Now, here's what's cool or what's interesting. I'm not going to say cool. What's interesting is the evidence of fire has always been the same thing. Like, it doesn't shift. It doesn't change. There's always the same evidence. And isn't it crazy that Jude was written thousands of years ago? Like, we've got this same evidence that was there thousands of years ago is the same evidence that's here in our lives today. Like, we read in the book of Jude where he gives us evidence of pulling away, a warning of pulling God out of your lives and pulling God out of society and pulling God out of your family. We see that that warning was there. We watched that. We saw that last week. And today I'm going to give you some evidence. He goes, this is how you'll know. When God is being removed, when you have allowed something to get between you and God and your family and your life, the evidence doesn't ebb and flow. It doesn't shift. It's the same as it was 2,000 years ago. So we're going to pray, and we're going to dive in. Over the next few minutes, I'm going to share with you three things that I think are good change. Like, it's good evidence. We can take a a survey of our own personal lives and know where I stand with God today. Y'all ready for it? All right, Father, we love you. Oh, we're grateful for your word. God, that it's alive and breathing. Your word reminds us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that it corrects us, it inspires us, it directs us. Ultimately, we believe it equips us for every good work. And so, Father, I pray today, this isn't just a book we're reading. This isn't just some ancient manuscript. It's not just a checklist of what we're doing to mark off we did that today. But, Father, I pray today we walk out of this place equipped to live our life on purpose in a way that honors you that you'll get all the glory for it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, number one, if you're you're taking notes, the chain reaction. What we see in every person who pulls away from God is a word called deprivation. Depravity. Total depravity. What does that mean? It's an innate corruption of human nature due to sin. Total wickedness, meaning I can't get it right. I'm not holy. There's nothing good in me. 
We live in a culture today that thinks um, that there are good people. There's no good people. None of us are good. So what I, we're going to read something, and it's going to be really easy for us to, for us to kind of point the finger, okay? But I wanna, I wanna, before I read the first verse, I want us to kind of get on the same page today. Like I know in this passage of Scripture, we're going to see words like them and they. But I want you to know when we see words like them and they, we need to replace them with us and me. <laughs> like we are broken people far from God apart from the grace and love of Jesus. And so he's talking to believers at this moment and he's talking to people, reminding them of people who have pulled away from God. He says, in the same way, these people who claim authority in their dreams, hey, they're claiming to be followers of Jesus, live immoral lives. Defy authority and scoff at supernatural beings. But even Michael, one of the mightiest of angels, didn't accuse the devil of blasphemy. He just simply said, the Lord rebuke you. This took place when Michael was arguing with the devil about Moses' body there in parentheses. Verse 10, it says, but these people scoff at things they don't understand. Listen to this. I underline this in my notes. Like unthinking animals, they do whatever their instincts tell them. So they bring about their own destruction. What sorrow awaits them? For they follow, and he gives us some examples, in the footsteps of Cain who killed his brother, like Balaam who deceived people for money, and like Korah, they perish in their rebellion. This idea of depravity, there's nothing good in us. Y'all, we live in a culture of depravity. There's moral corruption. As Isaiah prophesied, good is called evil and evil is called good. Like it has infiltrated into our culture in a way in which it's like, like there's total confusion of what's right and what's wrong in the world, right? The world scoffs at what it doesn't understand and simply just, there goes my book, simply just returns to natural instinct. That's the reality of what happens when we pull away from God. You go, oh yeah, but that's not me. That's fill in the blank of somebody who lives a, a much worse life than me. No, 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 come on. Let's, I'm going I'm to share a passage of scripture with you, Romans chapter 7. All right, it's Paul, and if, you, if you're like me, Paul wrote most of the New Testament, okay? Like, there was a moment in which Paul was far from God, and then he was redeemed and restored by the blood of Jesus. Everybody recognized that. Changed his name from Saul to Paul, and if there's anybody who was like, could be like totally a new creation, it would have been him, right? Don't you agree? And then he goes on, as a follower of Jesus, he recognizes this. And I know, Romans chapter 7, verse 18 Nothing good lives in me. That's in my sinful nature. Maybe you can relate to this. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyways. I've understood this principle of life. That's what he said. That inevitably, every time I want to do the right thing, inevitably, I just do the wrong thing. Come on, anybody else been there? Like, we're just messed up, broken people. We are not always going to get it right. And it's so easy for us to turn to the left and to the right and find people who seem to be doing it worse than we are, and it justifies us and our ability to just try a little harder. But the Bible reminds us as a chain reaction. Hey, y'all, where there's smoke, 
There's fire. There's evidence in all of our lives that we've pulled away from the gospel, that we've pulled away from God's plan for our life. And like Cain and Korah and all the others, we, we walk in disobedience to his word. Come on, if you survey your own life today, what does it look like now? Come on, am I walking in obedience to the truth of the gospel? Is that true? I love this pastor's scripture because these, these examples that he gave us aren't without God's grace. We see the book of Genesis chapter 4 where God comes to Cain and says, Hey, Cain, hey, brother, I see you're upset. I see you're mad. I want you to know that if you do what is right, things can be corrected. He said, but be careful. Sin is crouching at the door, and it wants to, and it wants to own you. It wants to control you. But if you do what is right... He reminds him ahead of time. Balaam, everybody, like, y'all are like, who's Balaam? Balaam, y'all remember Balaam's donkey, right? Like, he, Balaam was internationally known in his area. He was well known. He was, a, he was a prophet and a seer, but he was well known that if you paid him enough money, he'll tell people what anybody wants him to tell them. That's why this, this nation comes to him and says, we want you to curse Israel. So on his way to curse Israel, the Spirit of God speaks to him, corrects him, and changes his course. And he listened. And then you've got Korah. We, if you're reading the, the, uh, the one-year Bible, we actually read about them today. Korah de, like, uh, argues against Moses and they defy the plan of God. The Bible says that God opened up the earth and swallowed them whole. <laughs> Not only that, because of his deception, because of him pulling away from God, because of his deception, y'all, he took 14,000 people with it that day, in a day. 14,000 people. Why is that an illustration? Because I want you to know, listen, everybody in here, you call yourself a follower of Jesus. If you're here and we're following Jesus, whether you know it or not, people are following you. People are watching you. The life that we live is either an example of the gospel or it's a hoax. And just like they pulled away from him and took people with them, that's the reality of what happens when we pull away, when we take God away, depravity sets in. Come now, Isaiah said it this way, though. Let's reason together in chapter 1, verse 18. Though your sin be as scarlet, it can be white as snow. Hey, though I know you're depraved, though I know you can't get it right, though I know you can't figure it out in your own good. Paul said this in Romans chapter 7, oh, what a wretched man that I've become. Who's going to rescue me from the sinful man that I am and that I've become? And then he says my favorite, one of my favorite things in all of the world, oh, but thanks be to God, those that are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation on their life. What does it look like for me to begin to walk in the grace and love of Jesus? Maybe you're here today and like Paul in Romans chapter 7, you can recognize your own depravity. Hey, man, I've made some decisions that don't honor God. Maybe I'm in the moment now. Maybe I'm making some decisions that I know don't honor God. There's good news. There's not a thing on earth God can't redeem for your good and for his glory. Not a thing. That's good news today. But it reminds, it's a reminder that I have to come to him. There's a, there's a responsibility on our end. Number two, this is a good one, a good part of it that we need to recognize. The chain reaction, right, of pulling away from God where there's smoke, there's fire. It creates selfish ambition. It creates selfish ambition. Jude chapter 1 verse 16 said these people are grumblers and complainers. 
living only to satisfy their desires. They brag loudly about themselves. They flatter others. Why? To get what they want. Come on, I'm surveying my own life right now. Hey, y'all, we live in a culture, especially here in the Bible Belt, where it's all about what's offered to us, isn't it? What's in it for me? Since when did the local church become an organization and not a people? Since when, did the organi- Since when did the local church become a place I go to and not something that I am? Can somebody show me anywhere in Scripture, anywhere, any example that we have that the local church is something that I go to to get something out of for myself? It's why at church we don't call anybody members. We call you partners because we're not we're in a country club around here. We're a rescue ship, right? Like the local church isn't a place. It's a people. We are the hands and feet of Jesus to the world. Like there's no place in the gospel for selfish ambition, right? Like what's in it for me? Is the music what I like? Do they have the programs that I like for my kids and my, and my place in life? Do I got, is there a thing for me? Can it meet my needs? Y'all, that ain't the church. That ain't the church. That's culture. You want to find some kind of consumerism, get outside the church. We're not going to do it in the church. We are not here for us. We're here so that people would know the truth. Hey, y'all, heaven's real and hell is real. Eternity is coming. It matters that we live our lives outside of ourselves. Do we have the right, like, kids and youth ministries? Do they got the right stuff for me? My kid's not entertained enough, or they don't have this for them on their age. We're the church. Do it. Become that for your kid. Become that for your neighbor. Am I living a life that only seeks to satisfy my desires? Is that a truth in my life? Sin or otherwise? Right? We will set our preferences aside because it's not about us. It's about Jesus. Here at Cultivate Church, here's what I know. We're on a mission to reach those who are far from God. That's our hope. What do y'all do? What's y'all's vision at church? We want to take as many people to heaven as possibly can go. That's our hope. What's your, what's your five-year plan? To take as many people to heaven as possibly can go. What y'all going to do over the next 10 years? We're going to take as many people to heaven as possibly can go. We are going to live our lives in these four walls, outside of these four walls, in a way that honors God. How do I know? Because people are coming to faith in Christ. That's how we know. How are you going to measure that? Because people are coming to faith. People get to go to heaven. I don't care. People go, well, there's there's just a bunch of baby Christians at that place. That's cool. I'll take as many babies to heaven as we can possibly take. It's all about people knowing Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Jesus didn't say, go go make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He didn't say, go make as many fat Christians as you can make. He didn't say, go go teach them as many memory verses as possibly can know so that they can just know the Bible and and judge everybody around. No. He said, go make disciples. Here's my question to you, church. How many disciples are you making? Who in your life is going to come to faith because of the life that you are living? Like it matters. Stop living a life of selfish ambition. Listen to this. I'm going to Matthew chapter 20. Write this down. It's a good reference. Here's the, here's the purpose. Here's the hope of the gospel. It's for you. It's for your teenager. It's for your children. It's for your family. But whoever would be great among your servant, great among you, must become your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave. 
Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Hey, y'all, and give his life a ransom for many. What does it look like for me to live my life outside of selfish ambition? Oh, that we would be a place that's not worried about what's in it for me. I'm not here for me. I'm here for every empty seat that's here at every worship experience. I'm here because there are people in Shelby County that are far from God, and we're not promised tomorrow, and it breaks my heart, but I know if eternity were to come this afternoon, there's going to be thousands of people in our sphere of influence who don't know Jesus. That should break our hearts, and it should create urgency in our minds and in our lives. It's not always wrapped in a perfect little bow that looks appealing to everybody. Hey, y'all, grace is messy. It's messy. Why is it messy? Because we're dirty. We need Jesus. There's not a person in here. Look around. There's not a person in here anytime that's on try number one at this thing. Not a person. All of us needed the grace of God in our lives. Every one of us. And that's the truth for every other person that we would come in contact with. But what if we had a few more people that said, I'm all in. It's not about me. We're all in. I'm going to raise my kids. It's all in. We're all in. It's not about them. I'm going to teach my teenager. We're all in. It's not about them. It's not about our preferences, our desires, our hopes, our wants. It's about a God in heaven who so loved the world, who gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Hey, what if we could get our teenagers to wake up every day and go to school and look at their friends through the lens of eternity? What if they could come to youth group on Wednesday nights and look at people, not look at what's in it for me, but look at people through the lens of eternity and know that there's a God in heaven that could save their friends. Hey, y'all, that makes the difference. Less of me, more of him. John said it this way, I must decrease so that he can increase. Come on, is that true in my life? Number three, last thing I'll share with you is it creates division. Creates division. We pull away from God. We, pull, we become this, this culture of the society that, that replaces him. It creates selfish ambition, and selfish ambition pulls away from God. Listen to what it says in verse 19. These people are the ones who are creating division among you. Why? Because they follow their natural instincts, because they do not have God's spirit in them. Let that sink in for a second. Here's what I know as a, as a church. Easter's coming. We call ourselves followers of Jesus. My hope, my, my desire is that we create an urgency as every person in this room. We, there's an urgency for the people in our life who don't know Jesus. Unity in the mission matters more than anything else when we're preparing to reach the world with the gospel. Like the fact that we are all on the same team, moving in the same direction, rowing in the same pace, that we know there are people in our sphere of influence who need the gospel. What does it look like for us to do that together as the church? Matthew 16, Jesus said it this way. Then he said to his disciples, if any of you want to be my follower, hey, y'all, anybody want to be Jesus' follower? It's a big one, right? Like he, there's the hook. Oh, yeah, I want that, Jesus. I want that. I want to be your follower. Anybody wants to be my follower, he must, what? Give up your own way. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. 
If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what does it benefit for you to gain the whole world and lose your soul? Pick up your cross. I know there's probably a lot of folks in here got a cross hanging on your wall somewhere at your house. It's become decoration for us as Christians. Somewhere along the way, the cross has lost the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the oomph that it, bring, that it brought way back when. Hey, y'all know if somebody could time travel... If, uh, if the disciples could time travel, they say many of the apostles were crucified like Jesus. P- Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't see himself worried that he'd be killed the same way that Jesus was killed. Well, just think about this. Like if they were able to time travel and stand with us today and they saw like a cross hanging around our neck or in our house as some sort of decoration, y'all think they'd look at that and be like, oh, that's so cute. It's a death apparatus. It'd be like, like modern day, we're going to hang an electric chair around our neck. <laughs> like... Pick up your cross. Be willing to die. Is that a reality for me as a follower of Jesus? Is there unity in the mission that says, come hell or high water, I'm not flowing with culture. Come hell or high water, I'm not going that direction. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What does it look like for us to go, we're unified with the gospel. Nothing else matters. I want to pray with you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Maybe you're here today, and there's division in your life. Maybe you're here today, and there's division in your marriage. There's division in your friendships. There's division in your family. If you're honest... If you're honest, nobody's coming to you. But if you're honest, instead of submitting your life to Jesus, you're following your own nature. You've become a consumer. You've you've started looking at what's in it for you. What's going to make me comfortable and happy and all the things? Let me tell you something that might be difficult to hear. Maybe... Like Jude, they follow their natural instincts because they don't have the Spirit of God in them. Maybe if you take a survey of your own life right now, if you're honest, do you actually have a relationship with Jesus? Is that a real thing? Maybe you do. Maybe you're honest and you go, yeah, I think I do. I'm I'm pretty confident that I do. But you're allowing your selfishness to keep you from going all in. You're allowing your, what, what has become consumerism in our culture, you've allowed what's in it for me to pull you away from saying, I don't care what it takes. I'll do anything short of sin to reach my friends with the gospel. It's not about what's in it for me. It's about what's in it for Jesus. How can I live for him? Can I let y'all in on a secret? Y'all ready for this? There are no perfect churches. There's no perfect youth ministries or kids ministries or pastors or worship teams. There's no perfect programs. There's no perfect people. We are all broken people who need a Savior. That's the hope. We're in this together. Hey, y'all, I'm your pastor. I got it wrong this week. I had to confess my sin to the Lord this week. This week. There ain't no perfect people. But I'm going to tell you, there's a God in heaven that says, if you'll come to me, come on, there ain't nothing I can't redeem for your good and for his glory. Not a thing. So you're here today and you need a Savior. 
I'm going to invite you into a relationship with Jesus. The Bible says this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That he demonstrated his love this way. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That if we'll confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus died, lived a perfect sinless life, died on a cross, and came back to life, conquering death, hill, and the grave, we will be saved. That's the promise of God today. Come on, today you need a relationship with Jesus. Right where you are, sitting where you're sitting, you'll simply say this right where you are. Father, forgive me of my sin. I'm so sorry. I've done it in my own strength, and my own ability. I've got selfish ambition. I've pulled away from you. It's caused division. And I recognize today, maybe for the first time, that it's because of my sin. So God, I pray that you would rescue me from it. From this day forward, I'm going to live a life that honors you. You are my Savior, and now you are my Lord. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus in my life. Father, I pray for our church today. God, as we step into this Easter season, God, we know that there will be people in our sphere of influence. God, right now, right here, there are people in our lives who need to be influenced with the gospel and that we would set our own differences aside, that we would be unified in the vision, that we would do whatever it takes short of sin to reach people with the gospel. Oh, let us view every day through the lens of eternity. God, prepare our hearts to snatch those from the flames. God, may we smell like a little smoke. May we be surrounded with people who need the gospel. And may they, be influenced, may they be influenced by the life that we're living. You'll get the honor for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, 1015. Can you honor Jesus today?